0: welcome to the mi hunting podcast on this episode i'm joined by my sister and owner of silver Mist flower farm as we talk native habitat improvements and food plot work all right as always welcome to the mi hunting podcast as the title says this week i'm joined by my sister and we discussed our recent work down at our local farm the big thing was improving native habitat so a couple of things that we did was trying to remove invasives you know you look at if a non-native it can be on the landscape but it becomes invasive when it starts overtaking the area and becoming rank or uh, being a detriment to the habitat in general so we talk about You know, the work we did, removing those and adding more beneficial native plants uh, to the property. And then we talked a little bit about the plan for doing our summer cover crop slash food plot and why we're going with the combination of plants we decided or decided to go with and why, you know, the benefits of those plants and what we're hoping to get out of it. Now before we get into the episode, uh, I do have some some news or some updates to give, so uh, I guess I'm going to kind of, you know, dub this the conservation news desk uh, update, so let's go over that and we'll go over some updates, I guess would be in the conservation world. All right, first off, so an update in regards to the gray wolf. Uh, just this week, I got news that the Biden administration, along with the U.S. Department of Justice, is appealing the ruling made back in February to overturn the delisting of the gray wolf. So the Department of Justice is representing the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, as well as the Department of the Interior and the secretary of the interior so it looks like the Biden administration is looking into overturning that ruling Uh, basically again the areas where you know there are gray wolf populations they are doing very well they are considered sustainable so more to come on that ruling or what that appeal means or the progress it makes but again those rulings will have to um, know be made before states have the right to be able to manage the populations in in their areas secondly the spring turkey season hunt 234 is opened so that runs through may 7th through the 31st and that's a statewide turkey season and there's essentially there's no quota on this the season so if you're interested in hunting turkeys and never applied for any of the other seasons this is a over-the-counter tag with no quota so you don't have to worry about them not having any available and then lastly the bear and elk application periods have now opened so if you're interested in applying for either a bear hunt or trying to get your chance to go on an elk hunt now is the time to apply and that runs through june 1st so throughout the months of may so head on over to the dnr website and you can apply online to either try to secure a tag or to acquire some more preference points to get you a better chance in the years to come so that's it for the updates kind of like the the idea of the conservation news desk so I might continue doing something like this and in uh, other episodes as well but that's it for those updates so let's get into the conversation ready you ready (laughs) (laughs) all right so where do you want to begin do you want to talk about well let's talk about the the natives that we planted today
1: sure um, so this winter, the Grand Travers Conservation District was offering seedlings for sale for you to pick up in the springtime. And so it, during the winter, I said, hey, Ty, do you want to order some of these plants? I can, I'll, I'll order them up and we can plant them in the spring when we pick them up. And I really advertised this as, look at like, there's oak, white oak and um, red, red osier dogwood with the hidden agenda of me wanting to plant tons of natives and I don't think you knew the extent like how many I was going to order so thank you for working so hard today and helping me plant all of these natives down at the farm.
0: Yeah so part of it was because we learned that there's a ton of invasives down at the farm primarily honeysuckle
1: Yeah, it's a Morrow's honeysuckle.
0: Yep. And then um, autumn olive as well.
1: Yes, that is the worst plant ever. It has those spines on it that hurt so bad.
0: Yep. And, you know, with that, the honeysuckle, it is a fruit bearing shrub or tree. I guess you still be considered a shrub, I believe, right? Correct.
1: Yeah, I would say so.
0: But it's not very beneficial to wildlife, which we'll get into more about it and why it's so bad. Mm -hmm. But. We knew that we were going to get rid of it, and we wanted to basically add other types of shrubs that would be beneficial to the wildlife, and then also utilize some other types of plants that you had secretly had planned for.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so what we did, um, which is especially helpful, is when we cut down that invasive species, the, the honeysuckle, and then planted our native tree in the center of that cut area... Then you had the great idea to kind of build an area around it using the brush, the cut brush, as like a cage, so the deer will be less likely to to browse on those new. Yeah, areas.
0: certainly won't be nearly as, you know, foolproof as actually doing a metal cage around them, but it would help deter some of the animals from getting after them right away and yeah. killing them before they have a chance. So
1: yeah, and we only had so much time too. It took a lot of time too cut down all those branches and trees and
0: yeah that's the worst is because it bushes out the way it does and there's so many sprouts that come off of it yeah that it's hard to even get to the main stump or the main root system of it Mm -hmm. to get down to it so let's let's talk about the honeysuckle okay and why we're so eager to get rid of it
1: sure so down at the 80 acres it is so widespread um, because at springtime, not a lot of plants are leaved out yet. But that Marrow's honeysuckle is one of the first to leave out. You can just look around and see the green shrubbery and just know that those are all those invasive species that are just really taking over. When we hunted last winter, we kind of crept around some bedding and we were hoping for bedding areas and stuff. It was hard to navigate through there because of all the shrubs that were growing and and it's just so intensive how it's taken over
0: yep yeah because it's one of the first things to get its leaves and it's one of the last ones to drop its leaves in the fall so it actually you know has a longer growing period than much of the the native plants around
1: yeah and it shades them out yeah because they come on the leaves come on first it shades out the other plants Mm -hmm. yep Yeah, and a couple other things that make it so invasive um, and bad for the wildlife in the area is the insects. Our native insects who won't eat it. They haven't evolved with that plant to eat it at all. Um, So it's not preyed upon by insects, which make it, it doesn't, the insects don't make that plant weaker or anything. So it's like a free-for-all.
0: And it's probably not even just the insects. It's probably, I mean, I'm sure deer probably browse on a little bit, but they're not going to eat it enough to set it back or over browse it in any way where it's you know it's not slowing its growth rate at all exactly. either. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yep. And then um so in this information that we printed out, you just noted that the berries they're not very nutritious for birds either. And but then the berries are eaten by the birds and then the seeds are spread. So another reason why it just spreads so prolifically. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: yep. And then basically the way it you know, every time those berries are spread, you know, we see down at the farm where there's areas where it's such thick pockets that that's the only thing growing in there. Yeah. It shaded everything out. And even we were reading that it basically um, releases a... Basically a...
1: A chemical, right?
0: Yep. A that chemical that prevents other plants from trying to grow around it, which other plants will do. Um, but the fact that it's able to, you know, out-compete everything else... Yeah. If you don't get it under control, then that's the only thing that's going to be growing for the area. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so that was one of the main ones that we wanted to get rid of off the farm because, you know, there we do see that, you know, grouse really like hanging around them. They, they'll actually roost up in them, eat the berries and everything like that. But there are far better plants to have available for those species. So, mm-hmm. So that was the goal of getting rid of. Those non-native, um, especially those that act more invasive that do tend to take over an area, because we do want to make sure that we have diversity throughout the, the property and keeping it to where it's, again, more native plants that are more equipped to be able to uh, be sustained in our area and wildlife can use it more.
1: Yeah, exactly, yep. And that's like the keyword is biodiversity. Like, different animals obviously need different habitats to live in. The host plants of where the the larva of different insects live and eat. So,
0: And even, you know, you get to every plant has its own level of toxicity. So, you know, if an animal eats too much of a certain plant, then it can actually start making itself sick or get those toxic levels um, from those individual plants. So by being able to give them diversity... They can you know have a r- round welded, a round well rounded diet yeah,
1: balanced diet there you
0: and go. not run into those toxic toxicity um, issues mm-hmm. by eating too much of one plant
1: exactly yeah,
0: yep so what were the well, I guess let's talk about for the fruit bearing because that was one that I wanted to really focus on, so what did we decide to go with for a fruit bearing? That was native.
1: Sure thing. Um, so we ordered elderberry. So they're all native to this area. So it provides food, cover, perching and nesting sites for many species of birds. Um, and I know this is especially helpful game birds and squirrels feed on the fruit and the foliage. Uh, bear love to eat the fruit and deer, elk, moose browse on the stems and foliage and a lot of people like planting elderberry because um, of its forage and cover value. It's very, very productive and adaptable to um, different soils and and different landscapes, and it establishes really easy.
0: What type of soils does it like, and what type of?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm like looking at Ty like, wait, I didn't go that far. I can look real quick. So, the elderberry likes more of a well-drained soil, and it likes a sunnier spot, so it needs some sunshine.
0: Right, I, think that's, I think that's why we, we planted it out in the open, didn't we?
1: Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bearing trees. Did you want to talk about elderberry anymore? No,
0: I think you covered it. I mean, again, basically, it was one that, I mean, everyone knows, has probably ever heard of elderberry and how it's used, how humans use it. Yeah, for, exactly. Uh, immune uh, boosting and whatnot capabilities, so it was just one that was considered native for our area, mm-hmm. and again, the fruit from that, that uh, bush there is going to have, be a lot more nutrient-dense and much more useful for, primarily for birds, mm-hmm. but also anything else that's going to eat those berries as well.
1: Yep, Exactly.
0: So, and that was the main, I mean, I think that was really the only one that we selected this time that was a fruit bearing Mm -hmm. plant, wasn't it?
1: It was, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there were so much to offer that they had, but we just, we wanted to keep it kind of reined in for this time just to see how these go and then we could plant more next time.
0: Yeah. So what's the next one you got there?
1: Sure. Um, So we also ordered... 25 pussy willow plants. Um, So, this research is valuable. um, Well, other native willows kind of fall into this. um, So, not specifically pussy willow, but other native willows too. They are very fast growing. The wildlife value is really high. They're special value to native bees, bumblebees, and honeybees because the sugar content of the nectar is high. And the plant provides one of the first forage sources in the spring. Um, so as we were planting it, we noticed that that pussy willow had more leaves, sprouts, leaves um, showing than, than the other plants. So, Also, it's a host plant for moths and butterflies. The leaves, buds, and branches of pussy willows are eaten by deer, rabbits, moose, beaver, grouse, ducks, and small rodents. So um, the willow also provides valuable cover for wildlife and our favorite nesting spot for the American goldfinch. And um, so the willows are also a very helpful plant for soil erosion control so if you're having soil erosion problems on your property then then the willow is a good choice because those roots will hold the soil in place a little bit better than some other species of trees that don't grow as fast or have more of a shallow root
0: gotcha yeah Yep. Yeah. and then so that was one that we planted both down at the farm as well as on your private piece because you actually are Using you gonna use some of them as well for some of your arrangement arrangements
1: yeah for cut flowers for yeah for
0: cut flowers so
1: yeah yep. so I was a little selfish on that one but um, so we planted those willows kind of where it was a little more damp um, but definitely not in the the mucky like really saturated soils we kind of pulled it away from from those saturated soils but still like a good amount of moisture mm-hmm. yep all right and then another kind of selfish plant i got was the carolina pasture rose um it will be great down at the farm um just for insects and um caterpillars of moss and butterflies feed on the plants native bees seek the pollen pollen of this carolina pasture rose and um for game birds several upland game birds and small mammals eat the rose hips where which is kind of like kind of a fruit of uh the rose and the leaves buds and twigs are browsed on by deer so
0: i guess one thing i forgot to ask you does that kind of bush out kind of like how you see a lot of different um rose plants do
1: it will, yeah so as we were planting we kind of saw it look like a root And they were runners. They are going to send out runners that are going to spread pretty easily. Um, As I was reading, it said to plant pasture roses next to other native plants. um, Probably some black-eyed Susans and that sort of thing. So it will kind of contain it, and it won't. Run rampant because it will take over an area, um, so you really have to kind of be careful of that one. It's a bully of the native plants; like the, some of them will definitely spread, um, and you kind of have to rein them in if you don't want them to spread too much.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: Yep. And then we also we're pretty excited about this one. I know you were excited about the swamp white oak as well. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yep. Because especially because. Primarily, you know, that cuts through more or less the center of the property is a big old swampy cedar creek bottom. Mm-hmm. So it's got, you know, plenty of, you know, wet, almost clay-like soil. So it it was one of those things that, you know, I was worried about some of the other, um, you know, different, Varieties of oaks that would you know get drowned out or by too much moisture whatnot. So this seemed like it was a good option So
1: yeah, yeah, I definitely think it'll it'll thrive there. It'll be fun to watch grow Mm -hmm. So this swamp white oak it gets 50 to 60 feet tall and 50 to 60 feet wide the spread Um, and then it's going to be a while until we see acorns um, because these are just bare root plants. Um, I think I read today it was, it's going to take about 20 years, but um, the kids will get to enjoy it at least. And yep. so
0: Yep. And then with it being part of the white oak family, you know those those oak or those acorns that do drop, they're going to have a you know more of attraction when they first drop for some reason that you know the deer just prefer more. Now there's been some research out there that would suggest that. The reason why they prefer more is because they, the you know creatures that eat it know that they won't last long, so they know that they're a hot commodity when they're available. Because white oak can actually start to sprout or start to try to germinate almost immediately once it hits the ground, so they actually will either start to sprout or they can spoil or start to rot really quickly. Um, that's kind of the big difference between the white oak and the red oak, where the red oak will you know stay kind of like a hard seed much longer. Um, so that's why one theory is why they think that the the deer and whatnot uh, won't go up to the red oak nearly as heavily as white oak because they, they think that the deer have figured out that those will be there for a while so they don't have to rush to get to them.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. It's really cool.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, there's certainly more to it with that research project, but um, you know, basically they found out that because those red oaks can last longer that um, they actually get a much higher draw when food becomes... Yeah. So later in the winter months, that's when they see that those red oak acorns really get hammered.
1: I see. Nice. Nice. So um, the swamp white oak, the acorns are important food obviously for mammals and birds. It's a native plant here and can adapt to different soil conditions. Now we planted it a little ways off from the creek and the creek bottom, um, so it had some a little bit more of a well-draining soil. And um, you wanted it near the food ply area where you can see the tree from uh, <laughs> from the box blind. Yep. Uh huh.
0: Yep. Got it's got to be within uh, shooting distance of <laughs> the blind. Yeah.
1: Yep. And then I read today that uh, heavy acorn crop is produced every three to five years. So I thought that it was interesting. So it wouldn't be a heavy crop every year, but it gets mm-hmm. heavier okay. sporadically. And then for our insects and um, our little caterpillars around in the area, the caterpillars of butterflies and moths feed on the foliage and parts of the tree. And then that. Draws in birds to feed on the insects, game birds, and songbirds. And it, um, the tree then obviously provides habitat for birds and small mammals as well.
0: And then I think the last one was the red osier dogwood, correct? Got it, yeah. And that one <laughs> we probably didn't have to plant down at the farm, mm-hmm. but especially seeing how we've got. A pretty good stand of it in different locations, right. spread throughout the farm. But it is a very good plant for not only cover as well as for forage for deer as well. So
1: yeah, and I would say we we needed to plant it because there wasn't a ton of dogwood where we, we were selected. Um, you had noticed that there was it was pretty wide open in that area because um, you had done a lot of work dropping some some bigger trees the poplar trees and then you could just squat down to deer height and see really far so your goal is to kind of provide more cover there and a visual block between the creek bottom and the food plot and where your stands are and stuff so so it was a good thing that we planted And it was probably the most fun because it was so saturated down there um the hole filled in with water and muck as we were, as we were planting in the dogwood. So they do very well in super saturated soil. Um, some of the dogwood that we passed by was growing in the pond. So mm-hmm. they will survive just fine. Um, for the wildlife, red osier, excuse me, red osier dogwood will um, attract fruit-eating birds and mammals. The blossoms attract pollinators. The leaves and twigs are browsed on by beavers, deer, elk, and rabbits. Uh, Many birds find these plants as good nesting habitat, and dogwood provides a great thicket of cover cover for deer.
0: Yep, yep, and that's again, me selfishly, I wanted it there for the deer because I'm a deer nut. So, but yeah, so that's at least some of the uh, plants that we're. Started with, we're probably going to look into doing some other varieties of different plants to put down there. But we just wanted to start out with that for for now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the one thing that we didn't really cover when we were talking about the invasives is how we were getting rid of them. Sure. So we were basically using um, we were cutting them back and trying to trim them back a little bit so we could get at some of that brush to create those cages around those smaller plants that we had just planted. And then we're using basically a um, an application to be able to spray on both the um, fresh cuts from the branches that we cut off, and then also doing basically like a hack and squirt method. And I'm actually drawing a blank. It's
1: a herbicide that you use. Yeah,
0: it's uh, I don't know how you work your phone.
1: so. Thankfully, I don't know how to work your phone. <laughs> <They're funny. laughs> so thankfully, nobody got hurt today. You fell three trees. That was good to have that done. I got four done. You got four done. I yes. was over planting the roses. So yep. four fell four trees.
0: Yep. So for the trees I was dropping, it were the basically the mature popple trees that were down in the creek bottom area. And the idea with that is to drop these larger ones that were starting to die in the middle or that they were basically overgrown and starting to die as it is. So the idea was to drop them to, well for two reasons really. One, to allow, to open up the canopy, to allow more sunlight to come through to the ground, to be able to uh, let the smaller plants and whatnot grow up. And then also because of the poplar, the way that they, basically kind of do um like they create shoots once you've cut them so the fact that we cut them when they were still dormant there's still plenty of energy and whatnot
1: yeah to create those shoots for deer (laughs) to browse on and also kind of a screen of so they can't look through the the forest floor and see see as far um and it was good scouting today too we walked um, quite a bit in areas that I had walked before. Um, so it was good to see the heavily used deer trails. Um, we found some bones of a deer that had been taken out probably by a coyote this winter. Um, you found the skull of it. He, the skull was a little further away, and it looked like a fawn, you said, fawn doll.
0: Yeah, it was a smaller skull. And I mean, the fact that they had half the skull eaten away, yeah. you know, wasn't some heavy bone or whatnot, that's the size of it. Definitely indicate that it was a young deer.
1: I know we both felt sad. We're hunters, but we care about other wildlife.
0: Yeah, that's that's why I always laugh about. We care so much about the deer that we don't shoot at. To yeah. so we want them to be healthy and you know not be hunted by other predators. Mm-hmm. And then we turn around and hunt them in the We're fall. A predator. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So for the herbicide that we use, it was Tordon RTU and it's basically um, more for killing trees and shrubs those types of things so yeah so you do a hack squirt spray some of it into the cambium layer um, of that broken you know portion that you hack open with like a hatchet or whatnot or you can use a saw and you spray down there and it basically gets down into the root system kills the plant through that way so it's not like a a spray application right where you're killing off the leaves and killing it that way, it's actually getting in down into the root system, killing it um, from the inside, essentially.
1: Yeah, which is what we need for this honeysuckle and the autumn olive because they are tough to get rid of.
0: Yeah, because even if you cut them down, they're basically just going to do up new shoots through the root system. So you either have to do a, a herbicide application like we did, either spray them, Over the top, do a stump spray after you cut them down. You can burn them out if they're still relatively small. If they're very large, then you're probably only going to do a top kill and there'll still be enough energy in those root systems to come back. So really, either mechanically removing them or chemicals is probably the most viable for most people. Now, if you're able to do some prescribed burns, you could probably... Cut out some of the big ones and burn out the small ones, but of course not everyone's either capable or comfortable with doing sure. burns so either mechanical or chemical is the it's the go to option really
1: right so we got our work cut out for us down at the farm um, there's lots to do, but we love doing it, so yep. it's fun
0: and then so we've got that portion of it. So we're working on the native habitat, removing it invasives. And then in the next couple of weeks will be food plot time. Yeah. So really it's, I don't know, do you want to stick around for this portion or do you want to get heading home? Oh no, we're good. All right. Okay. So I just want to cover a little bit about what is going to be the plan for the spring for planting the food plots. Now we are going to do both we're going to basically do two larger food plots. So we've got one in the bottom field, which is on the lower portion of the property. That one's going to be about three acres. And then one above the creek bottom, up on the top field, closer to the house, that one's going to be about two acres. And basically what we're going to do is do the same planning on both. So it's not so important right now, but come fall time, we want both those food plots to have essentially the same draw. We don't want all the deer down the bottom field. And then when that one's either overbrowsed or everything's growing up really nicely in the top field, they all move there. We kind of want them to split out or spread out a little bit. That way we can potentially hold more deer with less pressure down on the farm. So.
1: Yeah. And then your fields aren't totally annihilated too.
0: Yeah. Yep. They're not, You don't, yeah, you don't run the risk of being overbrowsed as well. So for this Spring planting, this is more so a cover crop, but it's also going to be browsed on um, by the deer and other wildlife. But it's mostly the primary goal of planting this spring is to create a cover crop to hopefully cut down on the potential weed and grass growth and have something that can kind of help work on building the soil up. So, again, do, trying to go as much no till as possible, continuing to build up that organic matter on top of the soil, try to build up that topsoil up. So, in years past, I have used buckwheat, but this year I'm doing a combination of several different plants. So, we've got it's going to be a mix of buckwheat, crimson clover, sun hemp, sorghum, and some sunflower. Sweet. I figured you'd like the sunflower. <laughs> So why that combination? So so again, big thing is the benefits for the soil. And then what does it do for the wildlife? So the buckwheat is going to act like a weed suppressant. It grows very quickly. So when we go through and plant, we're going to also terminate anything that's growing already on the field with glyphosate. So that buckwheat is going to start growing before many of the other uh, you know, grasses or noxious weeds or anything like that. It grows with a very long stem and then can umbrella out with its foliage up top. So, if you were, you know, push the buckwheat off to the side once it's grown, you'll see bare soil with just stems coming up and then this big leafy top. So, it works very nicely for being able to broadcast seed into it and then laying that back down over the seed because it'll shade out everything else, but below you have bare soil. And then, again, deer will browse on it, you know, especially once, it really just depends on where it's at in its growth cycle. Now during the summer months, you will notice, especially where deer enter the field, that they will browse on it more um, prolifically there. And then, you know, throughout the rest of the field, they kind of leave it alone. But then once it gets to the end of the growing season, then they will eat on the seeds as well. So basically what we're doing is going to cover the bottom field and then on the edges that I'm not going to plant for this fall that's going to be left up as buckwheat that's just going to be allowed to mature and die off and again those deer will go through nip off the ends of those plants where the seed heads are and then um, again for the soil then it's slow to, comp- slow to decompose because of the high phosphorus um, content in it, it is actually very good at pulling phosphorus out of the soil and bringing it up into the plant so with that it does decompose more slowly than some other plants but again as it decomposes is adding that phosphorus right back into the soil and I did notice last year from having do, done two seasons of buckwheat that I basically had Um, plenty of phosphorus in the soil, so I really didn't even need to add any additional phosphorus and fertilizer. So that's why I'm, again, using that one. And then the other really nice thing is, too, is that because it um, basically is a uh, warm season plant, it does very well in the hot summer months. So in June, July, when it's very dry and very hot, this plant does very well with that. So the next one I'm going to jump into is the sunflower. So... Sunflower is going to be not so much for really for deer at that point. Now, again, if it does mature and seed out, then they will, you know, eat, certainly eat the seeds. It's more so just to add some another variety. So it's going to be really good for pollinators, songbirds, that type of thing. And then it's going to be basically a change along the out edges of the food plot because that's going to be the part that I'm not going to terminate or crush down in with the fall food plot. It's gonna add some height, some variation of the height of the plants and whatnot, add some additional edge cover. And then through the middle part, as it's growing, it does have a very large um, root ball or a very long, large tap root that can reach down further than a lot of the other plants, pull nutrients up from deeper than what a lot of other plants can get to. And then that way, when we terminate it, then it has all those extra nutrients closer to the surface for other plants to be able to utilize. Now, one thing I did read is that it's another one of those plants that can produce um, kind of like a toxin that will help defend off other plants around it. So that is one downfall of it. Now, again, we're not going to be planting very much, so it's not going to be a field of sunflowers.
1: Right.
0: So hopefully that...
1: Yeah, we'll just have to watch and see what happens and observe this year to see if it's a good idea.
0: Yep. And then... The next one is clover now you can use any variation of clover um, for this fall i'm going to utilize as w- primarily crimson clover because that's an annual but clover again as being a legume it is a nitrogen fixing plant it helps pull nitrogen out of the atmosphere and then it pulls it down into the soil so just to give you an idea of how good that can be, if you have a one acre uh, you know, food plot of clover, then that clover can potentially put 100 pounds of nitrogen per acre back into the soil. Now, depending on the variety and how long the growing season is and stuff like that, it can be higher than that, it can be 120, 130, up to 150 pounds per acre. So again, trying to cut down on inputs, especially nitrogen, it's going to help cut down, hopefully, on the amount of fertilizer needed this fall.
1: Yep, that's helpful, you know, on the pocketbook and just for, we have the pond nearby and the less nutrients that we have potentially running off into the pond is is better too.
0: Yep, and then certainly too, especially throughout the summer months, that clover growing, you know, deer, turkey, other, you know, ground nesting animals that they can go through there Eat the, eat the buds, eat the bugs, whatever. Exactly. So, all right. So the next one is the sun hemp. Now, I planted a little bit of this last year, but it very, wasn't very much, but we're really going to test this one again because it has a very, very high uh, protein um, composition. So, um, yeah, use it quite a bit for, it's more so in the southern regions because it, does perform better in more, I guess, areas with longer growing season, sure. w- warmer temps. Mm-hmm. But it's a very, very tall, fast-growing legume as well, so it, it is also nitrogen-fixing. So it'll help add that nitrogen back into the ground as well. And again, it's more for tropic or subtropic. Um, so we'll see how it does or how it fares up here in the north,
1: yeah.
0: um, you know, especially with us being close to the Lakeshore too, the weather always is kind of funky. Mm-hmm. So We'll see how it does.
1: Yeah. Are you going to grow more of that this year than you did last year?
0: Yes. Yep. So going to do, um, yeah, yeah, have more or get more pounds of it proceed wise. And then I kind of wanted to spread it out, but Daddy even suggested of doing kind of like a pocket of it, kind of group it all together. And I think he's probably right in that where we can observe more, especially for browsing yeah. on whether or not we see the plants getting eaten on or whatnot. So So probably we'll do kind of two, two pockets both on the top and on the bottom field to get that idea of are the deer utilizing it, are they eating it, that type of thing, just kind of learn from that one. So again, it's another, it's a relatively cheap, um, seed to get. And again, it's a lagoon, but it grows really tall. So again, it's that it's kind of nice where you can get kind of that depth of the height of the plants that you have. So you have a diversity of not only different varieties of plants, but also different heights and gives you structure in that regard. Right. And then sorghum, again, is another uh, grain. Very, very heat tolerant again and drought tolerant. So again, another good one for the summer months. It kind of grows up, kind of looks like corn when it's first coming up. Uh, And then eventually it does end up growing with a seed head on top. Now, you will see, you know, it's becoming more and more common for forage. Um, so for grazing animals and whatnot, and it can, it can actually tolerate quite a bit of that forage. Now, there is one thing I read that has a downfall to it, that after the first frost, when you start to see some of those leaves start to brown, then depending on if how much of that animal eats, that can actually increase that toxicity of, the, of that plant. Once it's gone fully brown then it's no longer toxic. It's just in that in-between stage from the green down to when it's browning. Um, if animals eat too much of it, then it can, you know, it is considered toxic at that point. Oh. So I, I mean, with planted in the past, it seemed like the deer really left it alone. Now again, once that seed head started developing, then of course, certainly the birds start, you know, going after those seeds, but then the deer will actually eat on it too. But I haven't seen them eat it when it's green but when it has turned fully brown, then I have seen deer, you know, within that area browsing on it. Really? So That's really interesting. So I'm gonna watch that one more as well to see if, if there's any sign that they're eating it when they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I've listened to, you know, different biologists talk and deer are actually very good at being able to determine, you know, basically help regulate their own toxic levels of certain plants. That's why they're, you know, browse so much. They eat a little bit of this plant, a little bit of that plant. Um, so I got a feeling that they're they're essentially doing that. They know when not to eat that plant and when to go after it.
1: That's amazing, that's cool.
0: So, so again, that's gonna be the summer food plot. So, but again, it's gonna be primarily the vast majority of that is going to be terminated and killed again with glyphosate late summer so first of august and then it's going to be planting the fall food plot that's going to be again a mixture mm-hmm. but primarily getting more of the greens fresh new growth for those fall months sounds great so yeah so we got work ahead of us we've got <laughs> yeah. invasives to take care of oh. trees to cut we got a. I i never did get to clearing the field edge doing some edge feathering right. adding some you know, space, you know, basically right now is kind of a hard edge where you got the field edge and then you've got the wood line. With this, it's going to be tapering that a little bit so it's more of a soft edge. So you have, you know, the mature trees in the creek bottom and then they gradually start to go down to, you know, smaller bushes, shrubs, grass, and then the field. Mm
1: -hmm. With that feathering, is that just trees that had been fell and so they're still there and decomposing
0: you can do a couple different things with that you can just yeah like you said just leave them where they fell and then yeah they'll break down and again that adds kind of more structure um probably in some areas i'm probably gonna pull that stuff back and just let the grasses grow up yeah and let those other forbs and whatnot grow in there Mm -hmm. some of the other ones because i'm not going to terminate everything with um with uh, any type of you know chemical or anything like that some of those other like native trees and whatnot they will sprout back and eventually start to you know regenerate a bit as well so they will start to grow up again which is perfectly fine because then that can act as you know as it's growing up the deer are gonna browse on it yeah and any other critters so Mm -hmm. so yeah we've got lots of work to do and it's gonna be i don't know it always comes sooner than me to think because
1: oh the season yeah
0: it's going to sure. be, we're going to get this done, planning in the next couple of weeks, about eight weeks later, we're going to be looking at planning again. Yeah. And then a month after that, or two months after that, it'll be hunting time.
1: I know. Good things to look forward to, though. We really like doing it, and it's for a good cause, so.
0: Right. And that's that's the thing, like, I don't know. I kind of laugh at myself about testing and playing around with all these different type of plant varieties and I don't know. I mean, I like to tinker with this stuff too much because.
1: No, it's awesome. Like this nerdy talk, I, I really dig. So thank you so much for having me on for a second talk and conversation.
0: Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, that was especially in regards to these other plants that you had picked up. I didn't know a lot about them. I kind of gave you an idea of what I was looking for and then just kind of left the ball in your court. And that's what you came up with. So,
1: yeah. We'll see how it goes, adding more food for for the animals that live there. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, I think that's a wrap. We didn't do too bad. Yeah. You said a half hour. (laughs) So, all right. So we'll wrap this up. Again, we've got more work to do, and we'll give updates on our progress throughout the the summer. And I'm sure we'll touch base again on when it comes to what we've done this fall to get ready. Yeah.
1: Did that bug ever fly out of your ear?
0: I don't it must know. Have. It must have because I haven't heard a buzz in my ear anymore. Right. But that, right that or next time I click my ears and I'm like "Oh Oh
1: what was that yeah. yeah. <laughs> well good. Thank you for all your help today.
0: Oh no, thank you. And I mean, thanks for looking out for me when <laughs> <laughs> falling those trees. So no we don't we won't get into that today, but yeah, yeah it had a little bit of excitement.
1: Yeah. You were safe.
0: Yep. All right. Well thanks.
1: Thank you, sir. Bye.
0: All right, that's a wrap on the conversation that I had with Ashley. Again, big thanks to her for coming on and doing the research on those native plants. Again, there are a vast array of different plant species that you can add to your own property to improve the quality and increase diversity um, of your habitat. So, it's always an option if you want to do a little bit more to your property. Now, really, in years past i would have considered this you know a a task or a project that i didn't really want to overtake or you know think important but as i've progressed in you know my knowledge and understanding of the ecosystem and habitat work i'm starting to balance that out more where in years past it would be focused on just getting the food plots in getting a nice beautiful you know lush food plot and calling it good but as I've like I said, experienced more and learned more than trying to increase you know the biodiversity and improve the overall habitat, you know, research will you know back it up and you know people that do this type of work that even ha- you know just doing a food pot is great, but if you incorporate all these other aspects to it, then that's gonna make your you know hunting area or the diversity of for wildlife in your area far better and you're going to see even better results than just doing the food plot alone so especially if you're looking for a little bit extra a little bit more out of your hunting property then these are some good things to consider to increase the benefit that your parcel has for wildlife going forward really so that's it on this one so i'm gonna close this one out again by saying get out there Be safe and have fun.